You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. I've never built a house from the bottom up, like I'm just not hand, like handy that way, uh, but I have been part of building projects and have also helped to build different projects at church and the different church world, and I can tell you that those projects are amazing and also very grueling at the same time, exhausting act, actually, because there's so many aspects to them. I mean, you have like property acquisition and you have architectural design, of course you have permitting and finishes and landscaping and oh man, there's so many different things to it. There's so many, so many like, fine details to the project. But when it all comes down to it, the, one of the most important parts of a building project um, are these bad boys right here, okay? These are your, your blueprints, right? These are blueprints. And they tell you everything that you need to know about your project. And, and when, you're, when you're in the middle of the project, you are constantly coming back to these. Over and over and over, every day, you're going to be kind of touching them or looking at them or referring to them or double-checking them referencing them. And the reason that you do that is because you want to make sure as you look at these plans that you know the right roadmap to completing the project that you're, that you're on. But they also will tell you something very interesting too. Blueprints will also tell you the order in which you're supposed to put things together. I mean, after all, you can't put drywall up if you don't have studs and those kind of things already there. You can't put a, a house or a roof up until you have a foundation of your house. So you just can't do that. There are things that take priority over other things that you must do in that right order for things to happen correctly and for it to end up the right way. But here is kind of what I've found, and I'm guessing that maybe you've seen this too, that we take more time, I think, making sure that the blueprints of our house are correct than the blueprints of our life. Like, I, I see that. Time and time again, you know people, I know people, maybe you are those people, that you start doing things in your life, you don't, con- you don't consult God's plan, you do them your own way, and you find yourself in a whole pile of trouble. You know, people that'll follow their hearts, and then they'll destroy their marriages as a result of it. People that might, that, that they, they, they'll neglect their bodies through nutrition and exercise, and then they get injured, and they're wondering why they're all sick. And people maybe that, that uh, gain all kinds of work success, but they've lost their family as a result of doing that. And what's really so sad is that there's always another way, that there really is. I mean, there is a way that you can avoid all the pain, all the hurt, if you have the right priorities, if you trust God's plan over your plan. And and I love how the New Living Translation of the Bible, Proverbs 16, 9, it actually says that we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. I love that, that we make our plans, but it's the Lord, really, that should determine our steps. And we all have plans in our life. But we need to allow God to be at the center of those plans so that we end up in the right place and doing things the right right way. But so often, I know it can be really hard to know how to do that. I mean, what is the right order of the right priorities to have in life? I mean, this is why I believe this series is massively important for anyone, regardless of your stage or your season of life. Because I know firsthand that all kinds of things get thrown at you all the time. Everybody wants a little piece of you. Can you agree with that? Like life right now, you're like, okay, who, what is it, right? And I mean, we've got school schedules, we've got volunteering, we've got dating, we've got work, we've got college applications, travel sports, church, book fairs, and that's just this week that all that stuff happened, you know? We have a ton of stuff going on in our lives, and it's hard to know what should get the right priority. Like, what order should I tackle it? So so how are we supposed to know? What is the right 
priorities. I, I love what Christy Wright said. She once said that if you don't decide what your priorities are in life, everyone else will decide for you. Can I get an amen for that? Like, do you just understand that? Oh my goodness. But as we look at God's word and we kind of like analyze what he says, I'll be darned if he hasn't got a, a plan, a blueprint for how he wants us to live our life. There is a plan that God describes. And over the years, I've kind of developed this, uh, this, 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 this process, really this kind of way of thinking that I believe helps us understand that the plan that God wants for us to have in our life. And I call it the pyramid of priorities, the pyramid of priorities. I believe that God designed us to create our priorities to be in this way, that we should have God, then our spouse, then our kids, and then everything else. That this is the, the blueprint, if you will, of how God wants us to live our life. God's spouse, kids, and everything else. And if we keep those priorities in that order, we are going to find the most joy, the most full life that Jesus actually said that he came to give us. Now, let me do this, though. Let me, let me talk to two groups before we get too far. And, and here's the two groups, because I know these two groups might be getting ready to log off. Don't do it. Don't do it. Or you might be ready to check out and kind of sneak out the back. I won't do, don't want either of you to do that, okay? So here's the thing. First group of people, almost single folk. Any single people here? Give me some single people, right, okay? Guys, you should be looking around right now. This is a helpful thing for you. You're welcome, okay? Anyway, right? Single folk. Let me just say something to my single folk. The worst thing you could do is to stop coming the next four weeks. It would be the worst thing you could do. I'm telling you, it might, this may be the most important series that you ever come to, so do not miss a week. Students, same thing. Students for you, do not miss one week of this, because just because you may not have a couple of these, uh, these blocks in there, these couple of wedges, they, they, I'm going to tell you, this series is going to be a blessing to you in so many ways. In fact, I would actually venture to guess that there's some Christian couples right now that are in their seats just saying, please listen, please listen, please listen, please listen, you know? Like they're just like, oh, please, like, listen, you know? Because they want you to not understand this, that they want you to lean into this. I want you to lean into this. God wants you to lean into this for your future spouse if that happens and future kids if that happens. Because if you can get the foundations of these priorities right now, you will save yourself so much pain later. So much pain. So I want you to lean into it. I want you to start to apply these principles, and I guarantee that you will benefit down the road later. I guarantee it. But the other group of people I want to talk to are my parents, or my, my married couples without kids. So you don't have kids yet. I'm going to say the same thing. Don't miss a week. Working on the pieces of the pyramid that you have right now is critical for you when you do have kids, if God provides, if that's in your plan. And as we'll see, having this down now is one of the greatest gifts you can ever give your future kids. Ever, ever, ever. So no matter what your season of life, the priorities that we have in our life, they dictate the passions in our life. And a heart that is deeply passionate about keeping God number one in our life will always see things more clearly. They always will. So, so let's get after it. Let's, let's do it today. Let's wipe out that pyramid. Let's talk about the top one. Let's talk about God today. God is our number one. If you have your Bibles, your Crossroads Grace apps, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 32. Now, if you can't find Exodus, if you've been coming the past few weeks, I don't know what to tell you. Like, we're like eight weeks into this thing. So anyway, so Exodus chapter 32. If you're brand new, this is a, a table of contents-friendly place. You can look in the front. They'd love to be able to find that for you. Online, here you go. Exodus chapter 32 coming your way. But we have to start by understanding why God wants to be number one in our life. Like, why is that important? But why is it, though, that it is so hard for God to be God and us not to be God? Like, why do we wrestle with that so much? Because let's face it, it's even hard when we're in church to do this. It's even hard in church. 
How do I know that? Because without looking around, okay, without looking around, here's what I want you to do. Isn't there people that sometimes try to sneak out of church before the service ends? Hmm? Hmm? Right? And I know you're doing your, your dishes at home right now when I'm preaching, so I see you. I see you right now. Because here's the deal. We think, like, we figured this whole thing out. We figured church out. You know, lights start to go down. Message is almost over. Song's going to start. I'm going to sneak out the back. Boom. I'm beat everybody, all the traffic off of Moffat. Okay? I get it. The lights aren't that bright. I see you. Okay, just to let you know. Like, I see you. But this isn't to shame you. This is just to say that it's hard for us even to show that we have a tough time giving God 60 minutes one day a week, let alone the top spot in our life all the time. So giving God top priority in our life will be a constant battle for the rest of your life. Because what are we battling? We're constantly battling those other three wedges, aren't we? We're, we're constantly battling being a spouse, being a parent, and also everything else that happens in our life. Okay, so, so when considering the top billing in our life, we have to start by actually asking a question. And here's the question we have to ask. What do I worship in my life? What, what do I worship? Because worship means what you give devotion to or focus to. So what is it that you give devotion and focus to in your life? And a quick check of that is if I could look at your bank statement, your credit card bill, and your Google calendar. I look at those three things because those are probably the areas that you spend the most time in, the most energy in, and I'll show you what your number one is if you just show me those three things. In fact, that's what I want us to kind of cling to this week. If I remember just one thing, I want you to remember this, that we are what we worship. We are what we worship. The battle for the top spot in our life comes down to what we worship the most. So what does receive the most of our devotion, our time, our energy, our talent, all of that stuff? That thing, that's going to be the number one thing in your life. And God is saying, I want to be number one. I want to have the top billing in your life. And when we place our marriage or our kids or our spouse or anything else above God, we are in essence saying that they're a new idol in our life. We have placed them in a seat that does not belong to them, and we're asking them to withstand our God-sized pressures that we place on them. And, and I just need you to know that. All of them, all those things, a spouse, our kids, spouse, and everything else, it's gonna, they're destined to fail. They will all fail us. And, and this is why so many of us are, are dissatisfied with our lives. We're dissatisfied because we're frustrated with the thing or the person that we place in the top seat of our life and all of a sudden they can't meet our God-sized expectations and we're dissatisfied, we're frustrated. But being number one in our life, that God requests to be number one in our life, it's actually not a request at all. In fact, it is the first commandment that God gave us in the 10 commandments, you know, the 10 commandments. Deuteronomy 5, 7, first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. Boom, commandment numero uno, right out of the chute. No other gods. I want you to be the only God because he knows anything other than him as your God will destroy you. He'll destroy you. He knows, that, he knows that anything we place our worship in other than him will only hurt us and it'll, make us, it'll leave us feeling empty. It'll leave us feeling dissatisfied with life. And this is exactly actually what Moses experiences with the people of God in Israel in Exodus 32, where we'll get today. And by now in the story, the people of God have already been freed from Egypt after 400 years of slavery. They've crossed the Red Sea, got part of the Red Sea. They walk a creek completely across. God then brings those, those waves down on the Egyptian army that try to pursue them and destroy them. God takes it on top of them. And then God has also provided food, water, shelter, everything the people would need miraculously in the wilderness for some time now. And so God's faithful. He's faithful in so many different ways. But now Moses goes up on this mountain called Sinai to be able to receive the Ten Commandments from God. He wants to get them all. And for the first time in a really long time, the Israelites, the people of God, they've been left alone without Moses. So like dad's gone and they're like, what are we going to do? 
But when Moses had been gone for maybe about a month or so, and the people, they start to go, they get a little antsy, let's, we'll just say. And that's where we begin. Exodus 32, verse 1, we get to read there, and it says, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, and that's Moses' brother, important to remember, and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. So, so Moses is gone for a few weeks, and it would seem like the people had like, like lost their minds a bit. And, and when I read this, it always reminds me of a story of my kids, Aniston and Easton. And uh, when Aniston and Easton were younger, a few years ago, they were younger, I remember that I went out, it was a Thursday, remember it vividly, because I went out to take the trash out to the, to the side of the road. So I went outside, I'm like, okay, they're both home from school, they're watching a little sh- a show right now, I got time, I'm going to run outside, put it out, I'll be right back in. I was outside, no joke, outside for three minutes, tops, three minutes tops, taking care of things before I went back inside. When I came back inside, I found both of my kids huddled together, crying and like rocking back and forth, like, ah, right, on the couch, huddled together. The cabinets of the kitchen, all of them are open. Every single one of them is open, and there are chocolate chips all over the floor, okay? So, so I call Aniston over. I mean, she's like losing it. It's like the, like that kind of like snot bubbles the whole night. She's just wiped out. So she goes, she, I go, Aniston, Aniston, baby girl, what, what happened? She goes, Daddy. I looked up, and you were gone. And so I checked everywhere, Daddy. I looked upstairs. I looked downstairs. I looked in the backyard. And so we thought you were dead. Three minutes. They killed me in three minutes. So, so I said, baby girl, baby girl, I'm so sorry. Like, I just ran outside for a second to take the trash out. But I'm back, baby girl. I'm back. I'm right here. And so a couple of minutes just holding her, kind of rocking back and forth. I'm like, sweetie, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And so after a second, she kind of calmed down. I'm like... So, sweetheart, um, what happened with the chocolate chips? Like, I just had to, I had to know, right? And Anna's just like, <laughs> she started like crying, and she's like, well, well, daddy, when we thought you were dead, when we thought you were dead, we, we decided it would be okay to have some chocolate chips and have a snack. <laughs> Three minutes, she killed me, and then it's time for snack time, you know? They're like, daddy, semi-sweet. Ah, semi-sweet. They went for that. Are you kidding me? They lost their minds, right? So same thing. People of God start freaking out, okay? They think Moses is bailed. Did you catch what they called them, by the way? They called him this fellow Moses. Like he's nobody. Not the guy that helped part the Red Sea. Not the guy that bowed up to Pharaoh. Not the guy that helped save their life or anything. Now he's just the fellow. Like, hello, you know? So, so they decide to start eating some chocolate chips when they think that Moses is dead and they killed God along with him. So they're like, hey, hey, uh, hey, Aaron, why don't you make us a God? And so, so here's where we start to see that there's actually five effects that happen when we replace God in our life. The, the five effects of replacing God in our life. And the first thing that we see from this passage is the effect number one is impatience. Impatience. Guys, we can't sit still long enough in our life to let God do anything on his time. We have a nine-second attention span of goldfish, and if God doesn't act in those nine seconds how we want him to, he's gone. We kick him out. We have one time frame, don't we? Our time. And when it doesn't happen in our time, we kick him off the throne, and we're like, you're done. Next up. So giving God the first priority in our life, here's what it means. It means that we relinquish our control of needing to be, in, be preeminent of everything. And it means that we're patient, knowing that his timing is always better than our timing. 
But we'll also see more in this story. We'll also see more in this story than this. And we continue, we see the second thing, starting in verse two. It says, Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Important to remember that. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up. I love this to indulge in revelry, it says. So the second effect that we see when we place God in our life is that we become selfish. Selfishness. The people of God believed that the gods that they made were the ones that did all the miracles that they had seen and been a part of. And and this is part of their kind of old days of being in in the Egyptian care for so long because the Egyptians had a God for everything and so they were just basically following their old life. So they go so far as to to, to throw a party for this brand new God that they have while Moses is sweating it out on behalf of, in front of the God, on behalf of them up on a mountain. But but I want you to know something important about this effect, okay? Really important about this effect of selfishness. Here's the truth. Selfishness poisons our faithfulness. Selfishness will always poison our faithfulness. When God gets replaced in our life, we can't help but be selfish, Selfish, because we start doing and saying and acting and wanting things that are outside of our character or, or what we know is right and not right to do. So we become selfish and we have to be very careful of that. That's the second thing. Now, let's look at the third thing that's found if you look in verse seven. Verse seven says, then the Lord said to Moses, now we're back up at the mountain, go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. So the third effect that we see when we replace God in our life is that we see we get missed opportunities. Missed opportunities. Moses is on the verge, think about this, on the verge of coming down to the people with the actual words of God that it says that he carved with his finger on tablets, but the people were gonna miss out on that. Because what they had done is they had placed something in place of God in their life. And as a result, they missed out on the blessing that God gave Moses from that mountain. They missed out completely. And when we put other things in place of God, we too will miss out on what God might have done in our life if he had the number one seat. Because in this life, God will not force himself into that seat. He won't. You and I have to give it to him willingly. And when we do, dude, awesome things happen. And when we don't, we can't wonder why we don't see God moving very much. Have you ever thought about that in your life? You think, I don't know if God's really moving in my life. Have you ever wondered where he's at in your priorities, though? Maybe that's part of the reason. Because when we put God down on our priorities, we are hindering on what God might want to do in your life. Think about that. Now, jump down to verse 19. So um, Moses starts coming down the mountain trying to figure out exactly what's going on. As we verse 19, it says, Then Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing. His anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf of the people that the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it into powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. <laughs> now, a life worshiping anything other than God will, will make you feel empty. 
That's the fourth thing that you see. It'll make you feel empty. Now, I feel like Moses might have been a little bit like antsy, up on the mountain, 40 days, 40 nights with God, maybe do a toll on you. So he comes down, freaks out, blows up the tablets, but the cherry on the top, he grabs the idol, grinds it down, uh, puts it in the fire, and then he, he like does like Rachel from Friends and makes like a Ross drink the fat, right? He's basically like, hey, you're gonna drink this right now, right? It's almost if he's, he's like he's saying, like, hey, if you wanna worship some other God, go right ahead. Just make it, go, make it who you are. Don't, don't, just, no, no, don't just bow down to it. Send it down the, ha- the hatch. I mean, consume it. Because if a little is good, then goodness, isn't a, is a whole lot better? And, and we think that in our life, hey, you know what? If I just get a little more money, that's going to do it. Or more, more social media followers, that's going to finally give me purpose. More stuff. If I can get more things, then I'll finally be made whole. If, you know, if I get a relationship with somebody, I won't be lonely anymore. And so we think more and more and more of these things surely is going to bring me more happiness and more fulfillment. So we should just drink up, right? Just drink up. But anything other than God will always leave us empty and sick to our stomach or sick to our spirit, I should say. Only the true God in his rightful place can fulfill us and give us life. Because an idol was never meant to do that. Even good things, like a spouse, kids, everything, those are good things, but they were never meant to handle the God-sized weight that we put on them. They weren't designed to withstand it, but you know who was? God. God was. Now, now there's a kind of a cool scene that plays out right after this, and the scene is where Moses kind of comes up and starts talking to Aaron. So you know this has got to be good, right? So Moses goes over to Aaron. He's like, he said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? He says, do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, there it is again, who brought us up out of Egypt. We don't even know what happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. <laughs> like, that's the Bible. That's like, I'm not even making, that's crazy, right? Aaron, like, hey, Aaron, that's the best you can come up with right there. Just poof, it just came out of the fire. But we all do that. We all get caught up. In doing things, when, when we're doing things we shouldn't do, we get it, right? We, we understand, we start doing things, which is the final thing that we see that's really the effect that happens in our life when we replace God in the top position. And that thing is, we make excuses, like excuses. Wor- worshiping anything other than God, again, makes us think and do things that we never would do. We do dumb things. And so when we, we will do things that are outside of our character, we'll justify it, we'll make excuses for it. Also, we can keep whatever it is as the number one position, and we don't have to change anything. We all see people that will sacrifice their integrity, their character, their families at the altar of whatever they're trying to salvage as the number one thing in their life. So, so you know, money and time and talent and our, even our spirit, if they're invested in things that we hope will give us a God-sized return, they will never do that. They will never, ever do that. But only God can give you a God-sized return. So what this whole thing really boils down to is really one word. It's one word. And that word is trust. Trust. Do I trust God enough to put him in the number one position? Do I trust that God will come through? Do I trust that he can hold me? If it's true that we are what we worship, if I believe that, if I believe what I am what I worship, then I have to ask myself, 
a question to that, which is, what am I putting my God-sized weight into? What am I trying to place God-sized weight into? And as you wrestle with that idea, let me give you three questions to consider as you ask that, really three God-sized questions that we all need to answer. And the answers to these questions will help us determine where God is at in our priorities, if he's number one or if we've moved him down the list just a little bit. So here's the first question to consider. How do I share my time? What do I do with those 24 precious hours that I have in each day? What we do with those 24 hours will dictate what our priority is. And and I'll give you a little secret, me to you. Here's a little trick that Satan uses. Actually, it's one of his best temptations, best tricks that he uses with our time. Ready for it? Busyness. Busyness. All Satan wants us to do is go 100 miles an hour in the opposite direction of God, and what he knows is that'll slowly push God out of the top spot. And we convince ourselves all the time that we're better keepers of our time than God. And that's when you hear people say things like, you know what, I'm just too busy. I'm in a busy season right now. But that was two years ago, bro. Like, you're, gonna, you're fine now. You know, like, or, or you know, I, when I get that promotion, then I'll be able to refocus. But right now, I gotta buckle down. We say that. Or how about this one? You know, Sundays and Thursday nights, it's the only time that I have to relax. So you know what? God's gonna understand if I don't go to church. Pastor Craig Groeschel, he says so many good things, but one thing he said once is that you have enough time to do everything God wants you to do. That's true. When we put God as first in our our life, all of a sudden, especially with our time, we'll stop being as selfish because we'll have it in the right priority. And and it brings us back to, to really what brings our greatest joy and fulfillment and energy when we have our time given to God. So here's some, here's some practical ways that you can do that, some very simple ways. Here's some ways to consider how you can use your time and let God be number one. How about this? How about schedule time with God every day in your schedule? Like put it as a, an appointment, non-negotiable. How about if you joined a growth group this summer, started to redeem your time in community with some other people? Or, or maybe like redeeming your, your drive to work where you listen to podcasts or sermons or, or you know, I do this PB15 thing on Facebook Live and you can listen to it a couple days a week and maybe you just do that at 6.30 in the morning or 6.15 in the morning with me. I, I don't know. But, but, but here's another one, kind of a crazy one. Here, online and, and in person, here's one, a great thing to do with your time. Are you ready? Go to church regularly. Whoa, right, I know, I know. Surprising, right? Go to church And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in the weeks to come, but I'm telling you, making church a priority in your life may be the greatest way to keep God number one in your life. So so create a non-negotiable habit to attend church. And and I'll I'll look at our guys right now. Guys, I'm telling you, lead the way in this. Lead the way in your family. Say, we're going. Let's hop in. It's non-negotiable. We're just going to church. Lead the way. Even if you're not even like, if you're new to this whole church thing and church, like God thing and everything, I'll just give you a small challenge. Here's your challenge. Just make a commitment to come to church for the next four weeks. Just, just the next four weeks. See what God would do over the next four weeks. Um, A.W. Tozer, super smart guy, he once said, when you kill time, remember there is no resurrection, that it has no resurrection. That's really important. Once you've had that time, it's done. You'll never get it back. So using your time for God is so, so important. So how do I share my time? Second question I want you to think about, these three questions to consider. Second one is, how do I share my talents? Did you know that God has given you unique abilities and talents and gifts? He gave them to you. And the answer to this question is really important. How do do I do that? What do do I do with my talents? You don't even have to believe in God today to know that it's better to help other people, like to be selfless with your time. You understand that. It's, It's inherent in it. But when God is the number one in your life, it takes on a whole new meaning. 
And it means that as a follower of Christ, that's what a Christian is, a follower of Christ, we remember that God gave us our abilities and we need to leverage them, not for ourselves, but for him. That's what he told us to do. So that means if you own a business right now and you're a Christian, that God should be at the center of your business and everybody should know that you should run it as if it's being given to the glory of God. If you fix cars for a living, you should fix cars to the glory of God and help as many people as you can. It, this means that maybe you need to serve other people, like hopping in on a Love Manteca serving team or, or jump into a tag team here at the church, one of our serving teams. And when it comes to our tag teams, I just want to tell you this. If you used to serve, like you used to serve, but you, you're not anymore for some reason, it's time to get back into it. It's time. The season of waiting is over. And here's why. Because you know that it's good for your soul. You, you inherently know it. And if you've never been on a tag team before, I'm telling you, join one of these. It is so important. Serving helps keep God number one because you're helping other people and you're doing it in a community. It is so important. So we want to help you. Crossroadsgrace.org slash tag team is where you can get more information. Or you can simply, if you're on the Manteca campus, when you go outside, we got our next steps kiosk. They'd love to help you figure out how to get part of a tag team. But we have to remember that there is no such thing as a non-God-given ability. Every ability that you have was given to you by God. The abilities, the talents, they were all given to you by God for a reason, and that reason was to glorify him. And a person with God number one in their life understands that God asks us to use those gifts for him. We want to keep him number one. But that's the second question. There's a third question that we need to talk about. That third one is, how do I share my treasure? How do I share my treasure? And as a pastor, and as, you, as somebody that loves you, I just need us to go there. And, and if you're like, not sure about like, God or you know, anything like that, and you're not sure, like, you know, like, oh, man, here it comes. God just wants all my money. I just want you to just relax for a second because I know maybe you grew up in a church where that's kind of how it was, and that sometimes is what keeps people from God, number one, because you're like, God just wants all my money, and it's just a big money grab. Listen, I get it. I get it. So if, if you... Don't believe in Jesus. You're not sure about this whole thing. That's totally fine. You can just you know, check out for a second. Check your Instagram reel. No big deal. But for the rest of us who do follow Jesus, this question right, is a huge indicator of where our priorities are at with God. Because we just came off of Easter. We just said it. We loved Easter. It was great. Celebration of God sending Jesus to die for our sins in our place. We corporately were saying and praising him, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to give my whole life up for you because you gave your entire life up for me. He gave us everything. Jesus gave everything. And we believe that. So why is it that we pucker up so much when he asks us to give a portion of his money that he gave us back to his kingdom work of the church? Why does our spirit get so tense when we even hear somebody talk about money, and, and I'll be super honest with you because sometimes this is what really gets me too, and I know it's true for me too. I just believe this is true. Think about this, that we, we'd rather live in debt with our stuff than live in freedom with Jesus. We'd rather, rather live in debt with our stuff than live in freedom with Jesus. But I'll just tell you this, 100% true. God does not care about your money. He doesn't need your money. What he wants is your heart. He wants us to give up, to give him the top position in our life all the time. And he wants us to get rid of every idol, all the idols in our life, including our money, so that he can lead us well and we could live well. So practically, here's what I want you to consider. I want you to commit to giving a percentage of what you make to God. I want you, if you don't like this church, that's fine. Give to another church, whatever. But I'd love you. And if you're not ready for the full tithe, you're not ready for that, that's okay. Just start somewhere. Right? Start with some percentage and start to do that. But start by trusting God and see what he does in this area of your life. Just see. And I'll also challenge anyone that's here that, that, that calls Crossroads home. 
I want you to consider making it consistent, consistently giving towards God and make that one of your steps toward making him number one in your life. We'll give you all kinds of resources and help with that, crossroadsgrace.org slash give. There's all kinds of great stuff there that you can look at, but consider doing that. Take your next step towards God, make him number one in your life with that. And I just believe so wholeheartedly that those three questions, how you answer them, you're gonna be able to start to gauge whether God is number one in your life or not, or if somehow you've allowed him to slip down and, and he's in a different spot. So, so, so what is it that you're expecting? Here you might think about this. What are you expecting in your life to, to withstand your God-sized weight that you're placing on it? And, and I'll just save you a little bit of time here. Let's, let's throw that pyramid back up there. Um, I, I'm just gonna tell you right now that your spouse, your kids, and everything else, they are 100% they're going to fail you. They will fail you at some point. You might have the best schnookums as your husband. He's gonna fail you. I'm just gonna tell you, okay? Little Johnny, you're probably not gonna go pro. He's gonna fail you, okay? Like, it's gonna, it's gonna happen. Only God can withstand your God-sized expectations. Only God can fulfill your God-sized needs. Only him. And he can, and he will do it. But it just requires one thing. Trust. Trust. And to give him the number one seat in our life, he deserves our trust. We must give him our trust. And, and I want this for everybody. Like, I just want this for everybody. I want everybody to have God as the number one priority in your life because I know that if he's not the number one thing in your life, you're not really living to the fullness of what God would want for you. You're missing out. And here's the best way that you can show God and show yourself and show the world that you really want him number one. Number one is accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Make him the Lord of your life. Don't be your own God. Let Jesus be the Lord of your life. Die to yourself and live to him. And the second thing that you can do, get baptized. Get baptized. Why? Because baptism is a public declaration that God's number one in my life. It's a public declaration that says, my old life is gone, my new life is here, and I don't care who knows. So get baptized. And, and, and that's why today we've got baptisms happening all day. We've been having them all day, and it's, they're ready for you too. We got the pool up here. I'm ready to go. Like, I got pruny fingers already. I'm ready for some more. Let's just go, okay? We, we, I mean, it's gonna be awesome. So if you, if you have never, right? If you have never gotten baptized... If you have not accepted Jesus and made that step, by the way, Jesus got baptized. He did that so that we would know that that's what we should do. He did that to show us and demonstrate what it looks like to publicly declare your faith in him. And so I would encourage you, today, I want you to do that. If you're like, I don't know, I didn't bring my clothes or anything like that, like, don't worry, we got everything covered for it. We don't do naked baptism, so you're good, okay, right? But we got, we got shorts, we got t-shirts, we got towels, we got the whole thing. Okay, we got plastic bags, all the things you're gonna need. So don't make an excuse why you can't. We got every excuse why you can already covered for you. So I want you to make today the day that you say, yeah, I'm gonna get baptized. Had a, had a girl right before I came on to preach, she's like, I gotta get baptized. I said, I gotta go preach. She goes, I'll just go in my clothes. So she dove in the pool with her clothes on and I baptized her right there. It was awesome. It was awesome, right? So don't make any excuse why you can't. We've got every excuse why you can ready to go for you today. So accept Jesus and get baptized. And I'll, I'll try to say this every time. There is nothing special about that water. Zero. It is Manteca water that we hope doesn't give you a tail. Like I just hope, right? Right, that's what we're hoping, okay? But there's something special that happens in that water. And in that water, you are representing your old life dying to yourself and then coming out of that water fresh to walk in the newness of life and making God number one. Making God number one. You're like, I don't know if I wanna get wet in front of people. I'll just say, Jesus died bloody naked on a cross for your sins. 
I think the least that you can do is get wet for a couple of seconds in front of a few hundred people. I think it's the least you can do. Right? And you might say, right? And, and, and you, might, you might be here today, and you might say, well, you know, I got, I got baptized as a baby. Like, hey, listen, I get it. My wife, same thing that happened to her. Here's my question for you. Whose faith were you representing when you got baptized as a baby? Your parents. It wasn't your faith. It was her, their faith. Nothing against it. It's just it needs to be your faith. You're going to stand in front of God someday. He's going to ask him who was number one in your life, not your moms, your dads, your grandmas, whatever, not your aunties. Like, it's who is it? And I want you to be able to say, God, you're number one in my life. I got baptized today. I want to be able to, I want to, to celebrate that. So I want you to do that. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to hear this song in a second. It's going to blow your mind. Amazing song. Can't wait you to hear it. But at any point during that song and during the worship song after that, if you want to get baptized, come to the cross. Our team will take care of you right there. You'll step outside, get ready, ready to rock. You come back in and we'll have you ready to go. Make today the day that you say, God, you're my number one. I'm making room for you to be number one in my life. And start this season of your life off now, living to the full. You are what you worship. Let God be the number one thing in your life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just pray right now your spirit would move, both online and in person. God, if there's anyone here that does not know you, within the sound of my voice, I pray, Father, that right now they would just simply say, Jesus, I want you to be my number one. Jesus, I want you to be in my life because I today realize that I've been trying to be my own God. I've been trying to fill it with my spouse, my kids, and all my job, my hobbies, and all those things. But today, I realize I need you. I need you in my life. And I've been putting God-sized weight in the wrong things, but I need to put them into you. And so, Jesus, I today believe that you are my Lord and Savior, that you died for my sins on the cross, that you have given me grace as a result, and I can never earn that, but that I receive it freely today. And Jesus, you are my number one. I repent of my past. I embrace my future. I want to be a new creation to you, and I want to be obedient today to then follow you in baptism. And God, you tell us if anyone does that, the old's gone, the new has come. And they can now let you be number one in their life, truly. And they can start to live. So Spirit, move in this place. When we hear this, the baptism that we have scheduled and the testimony, might it move our hearts and prick our spirits to respond and do something. And God, that you would just move and show us in a mighty way that you love us. You're good. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast.